Mornings on SEN. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop with you on a beautiful, sunny Melbourne morning. And it's going to be hot. So if you're going to the tennis this afternoon, make sure you slip, slop and slap. Matt Renshaw, not too far away from joining us. Uh, the match winner for the Brisbane Heat uh, last night, inflicting another heartbreaking defeat on the Melbourne Stars. But the big story is the tennis. And a major tournament needs a showman and it needs a villain. For the Australian Open, for the best part of a decade, Nick Kyrgios has played both roles. Quite often, the first week of the tournament, Nick has been the story. Good, bad, or indifferent. Craig Tiley and Channel 9 would have been really flat when the news came through yesterday afternoon that Kyrgios was out, but no one is more disappointed than the man himself. Yeah, uh, obviously, extremely disappointed. Um, You know, I I know you guys will all, all be wondering, you know, what's going on, so... Obviously, I'm just exhausted from everything and, you know, obviously pretty brutal. Um, in one of the most important tournaments of my career and so it hasn't been easy at all. Yeah, obviously a, a mixture of emotions. Um, you know, I guess after the US, it always goes back to the last Grand Slam I played was the US Open and obviously extremely hard. I was extremely hard on myself after um, that loss in the quarterfinals, obviously thinking that I could win it from there on and, and obviously just had... Oz Open was on the back of my mind from that day forth as soon as I got off the court against Kachanov and I, I always wanted to just do everything right and, and, and train right, tick every box and just be ready for the Oz Open and obviously this coming around is just bad timing. Um, but that's life, you know, injuries are part of the sport. Um, I guess I can draw some, you know, inspiration from someone like Thanasi who's had a bunch of injuries and, and has bounced back. So, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting that I'll be back to my full strength and playing the tennis I was playing um, prior to this event. So, yeah, it's, I'm devastated, obviously. It's like it's my home tournament. Um, I've had some great memories here, obviously, last year, winning the title in doubles and playing the best tennis of my life, probably. And, and going, into, one of, going to, into this event as one of the favourites, it's brutal. But, you know, all I can do now is just look forward, do what I need to do and just come back. So for the first time, Kyrgios genuinely believed he could win his home slam. So will he be in this position again? He's 27, and by his own admission, he's unlikely to be playing for too many more years, and his body has already let him down several times. I got off the court yesterday and um, was dealing with it, and we were going to make a call then, and I was like, you know, I've, I've worked so hard to put myself in the position, you know, to be, you know, I was ranked outside the 100, you know, a year ago. And now I've had the year I had last year and back inside, you know, the 20 being seated at a Grand Slam, you know, feeling as good as I'm feeling and and playing the way I'm feeling. Yeah, I wanted to give myself a chance. Like, you know, it was probably, I had some hope, but, you know, after today I hit with Thanasi and someone who's playing the way he's playing and he pushed me around the court a little bit and, you know, that was more of a realistic type, you know, a hit of the intensity that was coming. So I just... It was easier to make the call today. There's always outside outside noise, um, especially with me, like, you know, seeing people or past players saying, oh, you know, he's doing his own thing. Like, I'm dealing with my problems. And, you know, this was something that I was just dealing with as well, as managing expectation, trying to get my body right, trying to get feel, try and feel good about my game. There was just so many things that I was dealing with. And, um, you know, I have a close-knit team and we had a very good system going. And, you know, the last two Grand Slams I've played, I've, I've made a final of Wimbledon and quarterfinals of the US Open. So we we wanted to we we felt like we had a genuine chance of winning an event, winning a Grand Slam and asking the questions. So yeah, we were dealing with a lot. Um, but we have a good system in place and you know, we came to this decision together. It was mainly driven by me, but 
I have their support and we feel like we're making the right decision. But yeah, we've players have no idea what, what I deal with, that's for sure. So with Nick Kyrgios out, and of course Ash Barty has retired, is this the time for the demon, Alex Demonor, to emerge from the shadows? I'm just happy if, if Australian tennis is, is doing well. I mean, I think I'm happy, you know, we've made the final of Davis Cup in both the men's and, uh, and then the final at the Billie Jean King Cup. I think it's ultimately, if you look at the bigger picture uh, as Aussies, uh, the more Aussies we can have in the top 100 and playing the slams and really pushing each other just to get as close as we can as, as we once were as as a nation. I mean, this nation has such a rich culture and history in tennis and, and I think we're we're just going in the right direction and, and it's good to see that we're all competitive and whenever any Aussie does well, it's, it's great for the whole country. So Demonov's best result at Melbourne Park so far was the fourth round last year. His campaign begins tonight against Yu Su. So aside from Kyrgios, it was actually a great day for the Aussie men yesterday. John Millman and Rinky Hitchikata won in five sets. And at 29 years of age, Jason Kubler finally broke through in his home grand slam. While on the women's side, Ash Barty's protege, Olivia Gadecki, also had a day to remember winning in straight sets. We'll hear uh, from some of them later in the show. But now we're going to focus on the cricket. The BBL, the test stars are back. Not many have had an impact so far, but one man that certainly did, not only with the bat, but with the ball last night, was the Heat's Matt Renshaw. You just talk us through the over. We'll quiet down. Yeah. We'll leave it up to you, but tell us what you're up to. Just trying to go slow, get into my, get into my over here. It's very lucky. Catch! Yeah. Now talk us through that, please. Oh, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Renshaw's been going straight all night. Can Matty Renshaw be the hero? Will it be Bo Webster? He tries the run. He's played it beautifully. It's got a top spin. Is he going to get there? Piece of brilliance from Renshaw. He ends up 90 not out and steers the Brisbane Heat home off the last ball of the night with the first round he's played all night. And the man himself has been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Matt. Morning, how are you going? Very well. Uh, as Mark Howard said in commentary, you'd been playing straight all night, and then when the game on the line, you go the ramp. Just take us through how that all unfolded uh, in that last over. Yeah, well, uh, I tried to hit the first four balls as hard as I could straight, and it just wasn't getting the timing right. I was pretty cooked um, by the end of it. So, um, yeah, Matty Cooney came down and just said, mate, I reckon the ramp's the best option. And, uh, and looking back on now, it was the, the best option. But at the time, I thought, yeah, it's perfect. I've just got to get some bat on it, um, shortest boundary in the, on the field. So, yeah, fortunately got got enough on it. Um, slow ball as well, so I had to try and generate a bit of pace. Pretty brave shot to play, though, with four runs needed in the last ball. Yeah, it's, um, it's not normally a, a strong shot of mine. I don't normally play it too much, but um, I played one last game um, against Adelaide and sort of get the confidence going a bit. But, yeah, I just knew that I needed to get some bat on it and, and probably the where they were bowling was probably the, the nicest ball for me to play. Just take us through what was going through your mind when you need in, in a situation where you need six runs with two balls to go. How many, what, what thoughts are going through your head at that stage? Um, I think it was obviously trying to hit the six, um, which I, I try to do and hit a, a massive top edge for two. But 
um, yeah, just trying to really calm myself down. Um, been out the fit, been out batting for um, best part of 16 overs, so it was it was pretty cooked. Um, trying to slow my slow my thoughts down and, and just stay there and, and be ready for what was going to come. It looked pretty comfortable with about four overs to go, needing just over a run of ball. Um, from that point on, was it just some really good bowling that uh, made it a really thrilling finish, or do you think yourself and and the partners you had at the time maybe missed a few opportunities to make that a bit more comfortable? Yeah, we we probably made it a bit tough for ourselves. Um, it's one of the learnings we've we've been in that situation um, a couple of times, and it was nice to come out with a t- win, but. Ideally, we we try and get that um, comfortably with one over to spare or something like that. It was just um, it was tough to to for guys to get come in and get going straight away the, the way the pitch was. You're a bit unlucky. That game was at Marvel. The second last ball hits the roof and it's game over. Yeah, well, that's the the conjecture about whether the roof should be six. Um, <laughs> probably Bo Webster's wicket last night was probably a similar one that he played at um, Marvel a, a couple of a couple of nights before and that's six. So, um, yeah, maybe all stadiums need roofs, um, <laughs> which would be nice. But, yeah, um, it would have made a lot lot more breathing room if that went that hit the roof. What, what, what's your thoughts on the, the whole roof issue? I mean, it, it was heavily debated on the weekend after what happened in the in the Melbourne derby. If, if you were making the call, ball hits the roof, what do you think should happen? I think it's obviously tough to tell the, uh, whether it was going for six, but I think the couple the other night were, were straight up um, straight up, and we're definitely not going for six on the trajectory they're on. So um, I, I think it's it's a tough one to, to police whether it's going to go for six, then it's six. But if it just hits the roof normally, it's dead ball, could play catch it off the roof, um, which is I, – I was I didn't know why the roof was on, but um, it just adds a little bit of drama in there if you try and have to catch it off the roof, just like, say, it hit a bird in the middle of the sky as well. <laughs> What about Adam Zampa's suggestion, one hand off the roof? That takes it really into backyard cricket, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it'd be very tough and there might be a couple of broken fingers off it. Um, but no, I don't I don't mind. I think it's, it's hard when you, you see two blokes hit it straight up and um, it would be out probably any any normal game, but they get six for it. You just, maybe we, maybe we need to start trying to hit up when we play at Marvel, just trying to hit the roof if it's on. It definitely adds an element. We're talking to Matt Renshaw, a hero last night for the Brisbane Heat uh, with a match-winning 80 not out, including four off the last ball. And uh, we've played the audio there. You just uh, grab the ball in hand, tell the commentators what you're going to do, grab a wicket. Uh, is, would that suggest you're a bit underused with the ball? Uh, no, I think I was used as much as I could. <laughs> um, I, I probably wasn't intending for that specifically to happen. Um Obviously, it's nice to get wickets, but um, I think at that point, it was just trying to um, get through that over as as little damage as possible, give our bowlers a little bit of breathing room, but um, the lefty in um, was was nice to get him out. What's the feeling like at the heat at the moment? It's been a pretty tough season, but uh, you're giving yourself a chance. You're one game behind the Hurricanes, or in fifth, which gives you a chance uh, to get into that eliminator. What's the feeling amongst the group? I know you haven't been around it for a long time, been in the test uh, set up for a couple of weeks, but uh, what's the feeling in the group? Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, it's it's funny we've we've don't feel like we've played our best cricket the last two games, and we've we've ground out wins, which is, is what the really good teams do um, when they're not playing their best. So we feel like we're we're sort of peaking at the right time. Now um, we've got the Hurricanes twice, which is massive um, coming up, and, and we've got the Stars again. So um, hopefully we can win those couple of games, get into the finals, and make a run for it. But um, no, it it feels like we're ready to click as a group. Um, 
both batting and bowling together, which is the main thing. Nothing really dull happening in your cricketing life at the moment, Matt, from match-winning runs, being picked for a test, getting COVID, rain's all bloody match, you hardly get a chance to have a bat. Is your head spinning a bit at the moment? Um, yeah, at a, at a baby was a month <laughs> old onto that as well. Um, it, it makes it a, a really tough, um, interesting time in my life, but um, I'm loving it. Um, having a lot of fun with my cricket at the moment. I have a lot of fun with my life at the moment. Um, so it's it's a really nice time for me. And, and yeah, it's just um, trying to enjoy these moments because 30 years down the track, I'll just be sitting at home remembering them. How's fatherhood treating you? Uh, not too bad. Um, hopefully, I get a little bit of sleep tonight. We had a we had an early wake up this morning, so um, hopefully, I get a bit of sleep tonight. A little leniency from the from the misses, but um, yeah, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving just coming home and and putting things away and just having to worry about this little human that I need to uh, nurture and grow. So for only a month old, I'm a tipping. Uh, had a few plane trips already. Yeah, it, um, it's had a, a couple down to Sydney. Um, uh, when she was only about three weeks, two weeks old at that point, so it was um, a big time. Um, but we, yeah, it's, it's something really important to me having family around, um, especially after five years in the Test wilderness, having them around because they've seen how um, much I've gone through in the last five years. It's, as you say, it's been a big five years for you. You got the chance in Sydney, and then obviously on the on the Test tour to India. You must be, you must can't wait for that to get underway. Yeah, really excited. Um, was there six years ago um, for my first away test tour, which was um, really enjoyable, great learning experience. Um, we we got, I felt like we got very close to winning over there, and, and just sort of got pipped at a couple of really crunch moments. So I think the groups the groups in a lot better position uh, this time, and and we've got a lot more experience over there. How different is the Matt Renshaw, the person and the player? from when you last played, uh, well, before the last test, uh, in, in that absence you had from uh, international cricket? Um, I think hopefully I've grown in, in both. Um, cricket's obviously ever-changing. Everyone's improving every day. So um, you've got to try and do things to make yourself um, play well, whether that's mental, physical, cricket, uh, technical. Um, so I've tried to improve them over the last few years, um, put a real onus on the mental side of it because... I think a lot of people at this sort of state level, international level, have similar abilities. But you see the likes of Manus Labuschagne come in, and and his mental side is so strong that he can um, push on and an average sixty in Test cricket, which is pretty special. And you and you're confident you'll you'll get some Test matches in India. I got no idea. Um, depends on what they want to do with team makeup, but uh, I just prepare like I'm going to play, and then if not, just run drinks as well as I can for the for the test. Well, Matty, well done last night and uh, good luck coming up for the, the Tour of India. It's sensational to see you back in the international fold. I think I docked your 10 runs as well. Of course, it was 90 not out uh, off 80 balls uh, last night. Congratulations and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Cheers. Great to talk to Matt Renshaw. What an innings that was last night and uh, the poor old Melbourne Stars. It's just a, a season to forget at the moment. Uh, they got themselves back into the game, four netted off the last ball. Uh, and then a nice little ramp from Matt Renshaw. Got the job done uh, for the Brisbane Heat uh, tonight uh, in the BBL. Uh, it's the Sixers and the Strikers. Before we get to the break, too, another great day for the Australian women's cricket team yesterday. They beat uh, Pakistan uh, comfortably. Eight for 160 uh, Pakistan put up. Rain-affected match up there in Brisbane off the 40 overs. Uh, the Aussies knocked off the target in 28.5. Phoebe Litchfield, so on debut, man... Oh, what man... 
player of the match, 78 not out off 92 balls. Meg Lanning comes back into the team, 67 off 76. A couple of wickets for Brown and jo- Johnson. Uh, um, Brown got two wickets and Jonathan got two wickets as well. So uh, unveiled another talent, the Australian women's cricket team. On the McCafe menu today, just heard from Matt Renshaw. Uh, coming up, the big story yesterday was the Wallabies. Dave Rennie gone. Coming back into the fold is Eddie Jones, uh, a man that played under Eddie Jones, former Wallaby Morgan Turanui, will join us uh, in about 20 minutes' time. ESPN's Phil Murphy got the last of the wild card uh, matches in the NFL playoffs uh, today. Uh, netball legend Catherine Cox. She's about to head over to South Africa. Uh, the Diamonds play a quad series against South Africa, England and New Zealand. And that is where the World Cup is uh, later this year. So it's a big uh, three matches uh, for the Diamonds uh, there. We're going to also get uh, Steve Quick. He's going to give us some tennis winners today. So many matches going on at Melbourne Park. Uh, can he find us some value in some of those matches? That's all coming up on our McCafe menu. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson. Turbo Diesel, it's in stock now. Mornings on SEN. Yeah, crikey, that was a rip snore, mate. <laughs> um, really glad to, uh, you know, uh, be playing like flat out, uh, like a lizard in the water. Uh, <laughs> You're coming in with all the lingo tonight. <laughs> I'm going full in. I'm committing. <laughs> Uh, I'm practicing. I'm practicing. Um, happy I got the biscuit in the end, so it was uh, it was great. <laughs> uh, then I've, I've got to ask: Has it been Mark Philippoussis? If he he's might have moved on, but is it him that's giving you all of this uh, Australian slang training? Um, Mark is very Aussie, but uh, he doesn't speak like that. No, uh, he didn't teach me any of that Aussie slang. slang yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've been I've been learning a lot from him. Um, you know, look, I, I'm happy to be back in Australia. I mean, it's one of my favorite places to be playing tennis. So. I'm committing to the slang. I don't do that often. I, I don't commit to that um, as often when I travel, but I, I'm really uh, liking, uh, you know, every single time um, when, when I'm back here, I'm really liking my time uh, playing tennis and, you know, the, getting to see some of my cousins and uh, feel like home here. So it's, it's great being back. It's great being support like this. What do you reckon? Not a bad effort from Stefano Sitsipas after his straight sets win. His Aussie slang wasn't too bad. Didn't quite get uh, flat out like a lizard drinking right the first time. Uh, but good on him for having a crack. Very popular player here in Australia. Noticed uh, the Greek number one on the female side, Maria Sakari, said she could just pack up and live here. Uh, at the drop of a hat. So uh, the two very popular players and obviously the Big Creek community in Melbourne, they're always well supported uh, at the Australian Open. Left some time to take your calls a little bit later. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, 736 or send us through a message on the 40 Wings Temper text 0433981116. Consumer's Choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Uh, former Wallaby Morgan Turanui, not too far away as we discussed the big story in a Australian sport yesterday. That is the return of Eddie Jones replacing Dave Rennie, who was sacked just months out uh, from the Rugby World Cup. And Morgan played some rugby under Eddie Jones. Uh, he works for Stan Sports now. So he's well placed uh, to talk about this issue. Just a couple off the uh, 40 Winks temper. George uh, says the Australian cricket team won a one day international last night against Pakistan. And you're talking about domestic 2020 cricket and interviewing players. Why wouldn't you be talking about the international cricket and interviewing those players? Well, George, first of all, we did mention the result. Uh, coming up with Dwayne this afternoon will be Phoebe Litchfield. 
uh, who was the player of the match in that game yesterday. Later on in the week on this show, we will speak to one of the Australian girls as well. So there'll be plenty of coverage uh, of that series between Australia and Pakistan as we build up uh, to the T20 World Cup for the girls uh, in South Africa uh, next month. So make sure you, you stay listening uh, for all of that uh, one here, tennis could be in real trouble in the next five years. Kyrgios, Nadal and Djokovic all retired. And none of the younger players draw you in. Alcaraz has the most potential, but besides him, it's pretty bland. The women's side is even worse. And the Australian players just aren't progressing to that top 10, says Matt. Another Matt says here, what a joke of a franchise the Melbourne Stars are. Terrible playing list. No accountability from the CV board. David Hussey should be sacked as coach. All they do is play the no Maxwell Stornis card. The problems are deeper. They're in denial. You only have to look at the crowds at the MCG, not including the Derby. And fair point from Cam Churnside Park, one of our loyal listeners. I, Matt Renshaw never speak to me again. I robbed him of 10 runs. And then I said he made 90 off 80. Of course, he made 90 off 56 uh, last night. Go credit to to Michael Nisa, who bowled beautifully. Uh, four for 25. Uh, we mentioned the, the tennis. It was a great day from the Aussies. We'll hear from some of the Aussie men uh, that won yesterday uh, a little bit uh, later on in the show. But on the women's side, great day for uh, Olivia Kadecki. Great payday for a young uh, Australian trying to make their way, her way through. And she loses her next match. She's going to make about $150,000. But she's being mentored by the best, really. If you want to mentor an Australian tennis as a female or a male, to be honest, uh, Ash Barty is who you want. Uh, Olivia Gadecki has Ash in her corner, and she spoke about her influence uh, in her match uh, after she won yesterday. She uh, sent me a text after my match. She's always been in my corner, and I've, I'm so lucky to have her um, whenever I need advice. I've dreamt about it my whole life, and to really live it is just a whole nother feeling. Olivia Gadecki uh, yesterday, a great day for her at the Australian Open. Uh, plenty more Aussies in action today, and there's some really interesting matches too uh, around the tournament uh, today. We'll go through those uh, after we get to the newsroom with Anna Pavlou. Yeah, great day of tennis coming up. You can listen all day on the SEN app via SEN Tennis. Brett Phillips uh, heading up the team there. So in terms of some of the big matches today, there's a couple of absolute crackers for first-round matches. Andre Rublev, the number five seed, takes on Dominic Team, who's not seeded. He's coming back from a couple of years of uh, injuries. In terms uh, of the Aussies, uh, Jordan Thompson uh, is in action today. Chris O'Connell, Tanasi Kokonakis, uh, interesting first-round match against uh, Fabio Fanini. Alex Vukic, who we had on the show on Friday, he's in action against the American uh, Brandon Holt. As we mentioned uh, earlier on, um, Alex Demonor begins his campaign tonight against Yu Su. Uh, and, of course, uh, Nick Kyrgios was meant to play tonight. His match has been cancelled. The other cracker of a first-round match, uh, not in featuring Australians, but uh, the number 13 seed, Matteo Birrettini, coming up against Andy Murray, another very good player from... Oh, years gone by, still a good good play, but not seeded anymore. So that's a really tough uh, first-round match 
uh, for Matteo Birrettini, who has a pretty good record at Melbourne Park. On the women's side of the draw, a couple of Aussies in action today. Kimberly Birrell comes up against the number 31 seed, Kaya Kanepi. And uh, Jamie Fulis uh, is also in action. So plenty to see uh, down at Melbourne Park today, as we said. It was a good day for the Aussie men uh, yesterday. When you look at uh, Johnny Millman getting a win in five sets. Uh, Rinky Hitchikita as well in five sets uh, last night, coming back from two sets uh, to love down. And Jason Kubler, who has had a lot of injuries, but at 29, he's got his highest ranking. He's in the 80s. And uh, he won in straight sets yesterday for his first ever victory at Melbourne Park. So we'll hear uh, from some of those men uh, later in the show. We'll talk some footy as well because it really was a bit of a day of carnage around the AFL yesterday. You know, the Marcus Adams uh, story is a significant one at the Brisbane Lions. Some injuries at Richmond, some injuries at St Kilda, uh, some injury news at Collingwood as well. So we'll go through all of that uh, later in the show. But uh, after the break, we're going to talk the Wallabies, the seismic change there. Eddie Jones is back. Uh, Dave Rennie, the coach, was sacked uh, yesterday morning via Zoom, which is a pretty tough way to get sacked, but that sort of sums up uh, the modern world a little bit. Uh, but former Wallaby and now Stan Sport commentator Morgan Turanui will join us after the break to discuss uh, that big story that broke about this time yesterday. This is Mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Welcome back to the show. Well, if you're a rugby fan, you need to have Stan Sport this year. It's a huge year with the Super Rugby Pacific just around the corner, the Rugby Championship and Bledisloe Cup, and, of course, the big one, the Rugby World Cup in September. And, of course, every tennis Grand Slam is also on there as well. So start your seven-day free trial at stan.com.au forward slash sport. But uh, all the focus and at the moment is the Rugby World Cup after this seismic story yesterday that Dave Rennie is sacked and Eddie Jones is back in charge of Australian rugby. One man that knows Eddie Jones really well. He's a stand sport commentator now as well as Morgan Turanui. 20 tests for the Wallabies and is a former vice-captain. He's been good enough to join us this morning. Hello, Morgan. Morning, how are you? Um, Pretty quiet day for rugby yesterday. <laughs> not much going on. Just try and take the focus off the Australian Open, are you, uh, in uh, the rugby world? Uh, just take us through your immediate reaction when the news came through yesterday. Oh, I think like everyone's shock. It's very rare, of course, that a coach is let go and the coach is appointed in almost the same press release. Um, and it's a really, really strange set of circumstances that led to it. There was lots of talk over the past few months about Eddie Jones returning to Australian rugby, but it, most of it was all about after this upcoming World Cup in 2023 and uh, those conversations with Chairman and CEO of Rugby Australia had started months ago, but that was about, okay, what's Eddie Jones's idea around Australian rugby? What involvement does he want after this World Cup cycle? But then in November... Uh, South Africa beat England at Twickenham when England got booed off the field. Mm. And quickly after that, it snowballed. And, and a few days later, Eddie Jones becomes sacked. And that's the catalyst for where we are today. I think no other coach was being brought in for Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie would have gone to the World Cup until that moment that Eddie Jones became available. And, and Rugby Australia saw fit that instead of waiting perhaps till after this World Cup cycle, they bring Eddie Jones back 17 years later as the Wallaby coach. Yeah, I was going to ask you that uh, if um, Eddie wasn't available, would Dave be still coaching? You, you, you've answered that question. There, so it appears to be you know it's it's pretty brutal, and obviously you know there's been suggestions, as you said, that you know talks even started 14 months ago with with what role Eddie Jones could play in Australian rugby. But given you know Dave's record, his winning percentage wasn't good. He had that shock loss to Italy, the first time he'd lost to them since 1983. It, it's hard to argue against it being the right decision. Would that be fair enough? Yeah, I think you've summed it up well, to be honest. I think because it's an Eddie Jones. Don't forget, like people will remember Eddie as the Wallabies coach from 2003 to 2005. 
I think about whatever we're doing, whatever job we're in now, we're hopefully we're better at it doing it for the next 17 years. So we get not the Eddie Jones of 2003 to five, which is a little bit like Dave Rennie. That was Eddie's first international coaching position, as was this for Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie will be a great international coach through the future. He'll get better and better. But what we're getting now as Australian rugby, we get the finished product. We get the end point of Eddie Jones, who masterminded the greatest upset in World Cup history, Japan beating South Africa. Mm-hmm. Eddie Jones with the highest winning percentage of any coach for England in their history at 73%. We get the finished product. We get the complete um, history and experiences of Eddie Jones all bundled into one. He's an Australian. It's the team and jersey that he's passionate about. Even coaching England, he knew he had an eye on Australia. He cared about Australian rugby. So I think it's the understandable decision. And that's why I think no one else probably would be justified in replacing Dave Rennie. But this is a different kettle of fish, someone of the of the level of Eddie Jones. Dave just, just left himself open to it. I think the, the other thing, unfortunately, for Dave Rennie is that because he's done quite a good job in setting it up and blooding young players and creating a great environment, Eddie Jones has a chance of being successful because of the hard work done by Dave Rennie. And we'll never know what this nine months would have looked like under Dave Rennie, which is a shame for him. And that's, I suppose, the old adage of who'd be a coach. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, the money's good, but apart from that, it's, uh, it's pretty tough work. I just, you sort of sums up a little bit there at the end of that answer. But So how would you look back on Dave Rennie's time as the Wallabies coach? You know, win-loss doesn't look great, and he certainly had some you know, major injuries to deal with. So how would you sort of assess his time in charge? Yeah, it, it's been a very difficult period in Australian rugby, and I think he, he, he's a kind of great human being that he actually got the group through and the sport through very well. It was almost a the perfect sort of stable guy to bring everyone back together at the time. He had to get through the COVID issues. They'd never spent more time in bubble. You know, we knew we learnt what a bubble was for sporting teams, and they were away from home and they were isolated. Um, he had you know injury issues, which you know he couldn't control enough his strength and conditioning program to get the output that he wanted. But then he also had um, um, issues with players playing overseas. So if he wanted to pick Quade Cooper or Samu Karevi, he couldn't always pick them on the last couple of spring tours. He didn't have them there. All those influences, and, you know, we've never played the All Blacks more than we've played them in the last few years just because of the geography of our lack of international travel situation. So lots of things conspired to create that black and white number that is his win-loss percentage, which all coaches live and die by. I think he did a, a very a sterling job in, in the most trying of circumstances for our sport. Our players have experiences at international level. Um, they know they can beat pretty much anyone on any given day in world rugby, and they go forward having had Dave Rennie put a lot of work into them. So he's, you know, in essence, he's he's, he's traversed one of the hardest three-year periods for, for any sports, and he's, he's he's done his best with the cards he's been dealt, and, and you've got to feel sorry for him, that's for sure. Speaking of former Wallaby, Morgan Turunui, also a big part of Stan Sports rugby coverage about the big news yesterday that Eddie Jones is back, Dave Rennie sacked as Wallaby's coach. So now that we've got Eddie Jones back, and by rugby union, uh, you know, the, the administrator's own comments, he's the best coach in the world, uh, externally, should our expectations for the Wallabies now increase for this upcoming World Cup in, in nine months' time? Well, they certainly should. I was quietly confident we'd go deep already. Uh, we've got a very good draw. Um, the, the big four teams, New Zealand, South Africa, France and Ireland, are on the other side of the draw, so we wouldn't necessarily meet them until the semi-finals if we get that far. Uh, which which that'll never be. We'll never get as good a run for a World Cup as we will this time. You add Eddie Jones, nine months. He's only got five test matches before the World Cup starts to with his team to to put what the influence he wants on the team. So he probably won't make 
wholesale changes. He'll just try to make, you know, sort of corrections around the edges of the way they're playing, maybe some changes in selection on his viewpoints of players. Uh, I think there's a decent chance we can do very well at this World Cup. So tell us about Eddie Jones, the man, uh, Morgan, because I, I saw a few of the comments that came through on Twitter uh, yesterday. From I think a lot of them were some journos saying, okay, strap yourself in. Eddie's back. There won't be a dull moment with Eddie back in charge. What what sort of person is he like to, to play under? And, um, you know, how, how sort of tough is he as a coach? Yeah, I think by his own words, he, he thinks he's mellowed a bit. I'll be interested to see if that's true or not. But <laughs> look, in terms of our time with him, it was a highly stressful, high-pressure environment. And it was a little bit about the times. And it was very much about the stick rather than, than the carrot. Um, and possibly you can't treat the modern player like that. You can't treat young men like that anymore the way we were. But what you knew was you had the hardest working coach in the world. He drove his staff to work hard, which meant he created an environment of high work ethic, always looking to improve, uh, trying to find innovation, change the game. What's the next step? So when you ran out on the field, you knew you were in outstanding physical condition. You were definitely had some of the smartest rugby people in the world behind you. So you prepared, you had a clear game plan. So you always ran out with confidence because you, you knew no stone had been left unturned in terms of preparation. And I think that'll be really exciting for this group. The other side of it is there's a high churn in staff because lots of people can't cope with that pressure environment. So it's that double-edged sword of he creates intensity, he drives an intense network. You, you are forged by that pressure into a better player if you can cope with it. Some players will, will be collateral damage. They won't be able to come along for the ride because they won't keep up with it. The issue with Australian rugby is a little bit that we don't have a ridiculous amount of players like England and mm. we don't have a huge amount of coaches we want churned out. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Eddie, the finished product, is like in comparison to those years. If he has tempered himself a little bit, he could be perfect for this situation. Is nine months enough? I, don't, I know that sounds like a long time, but that there's not many you know, matches in that time and there's, you know, Super Rugby gets underway. Is that enough time for him to really put his stamp on this group and make the necessary changes ahead of a World Cup? Yeah, you'd normally say no. They'll have a couple of groupings together. I think the next one's in about April where they'll have sort of three days together. He'd bring a Wallaby group in to have a chat in between Super Rugby games. And as I mentioned, only five games. They'll play... Mm. Him versus Michael Checker, his own teammate, Australia versus Argentina in Sydney. He'll play the All Blacks in Melbourne. Then he'll go over and play them in Dunedin. Before that, he'll play South Africa. And they play France in a warm-up game just before the World Cup. That's not a lot of footy to, to make his mark. But we saw Michael Checker do it when appointed at the end of 2014 to take us all the way to the 2015 World Cup final. So sometimes those agent of change coaches can have a huge influence on the environment. Just a little bit of a change is maybe sort of a refreshing environment makes a difference as opposed to wholesale changes of the way their rugby is played. The second part to this is the four years that that, that follow this World Cup coming is a British and Irish Lions series in 25 and that home World Cup in 27. There'll be the short-term bump with Eddie to this World Cup, but then his long-reaching plans for the future of the game as well. Yeah, it's an exciting time. Just finally, I mean, in, in the time that you played, if you go through, you know, two World Cups, 91, 99, you know, 2003 final, you mentioned we made the to- uh, final in 2015. It's been a real roller coaster ride for the Wallabies now for, you know, 15 years or so. Are we developing enough good players? Is there enough good players playing in Australia to get us back to the very top on a consistent basis like we saw in the, the 90s and early 2000s? 
Yeah, I think we still produce excellent players. To be fair, a lot of the great players that are coming through at school will go to rugby league because the NRL can offer them more money and a quicker pathway to the top with their, you know, that big national domestic competition, very much like the AFL competition. So it's hard to hold on to young talent. Um, so that, that means that young rugby players are often playing elsewhere or we've got, you know, 150 players playing overseas. So we're not... Truthfully, at the moment, we're not set up for long-term sustained success. So we can always have a big tournament like a World Cup. So we're sort of caught between the league and AFL sports and probably football, where you know almost all of their players are overseas and they have that A-league. So we're in the middle there. It's how Eddie can move that dial uh, to make us cohesive enough to be consistent performance at international level, that's going to be his greatest challenge. There's still great Australian footballers coming through. It's identifying, developing and holding on to the right ones that will be key for him. And if you had one piece of advice for a young Wallaby in the camp that's never had anything to do with Eddie Jones, what would it be? Uh, I actually had a chat to a couple of players yesterday. A few of them reached out to say, well, what should we expect? What do you think? And I just said, be confident that, that this guy can make you as good a player as you can be but you're going to have to put your head down and do the work. So your advice is strap in, boys. There's some hard work coming. Bring your work. it's test footy. It's test yep. rugby. It should be like that. Absolutely. This is the, the peak of the game. Hey, Morgan, thanks so much for your time and giving us an insight into the decision and uh, Eddie Jones, the man and the coach. We really appreciate it. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Great to talk to Morgan Turanui. Big part of the Stan Sport uh, team. And as we said, it's a big year. Rugby Championship, Super Rugby Pacific and Rugby World Cup coming up in France in September. Uh, tennis Grand Slams are also on there as well. So start your seven-day free trial at stan.com.au forward slash sport. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Welcome back to the show, or if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, uh, Julian DeStoop, with you on a hot Melbourne day. Uh, the sun is shining, it's breezy. I'm just looking at uh, some pictures on Twitter from uh, Josh Jaw from Channel 9 News. The huge crowds are already gathering at Melbourne Park. Big lines to get into the facility. Record crowds yesterday, I'd say, looking at that. Uh, there'll be a record day two crowd as well. Some big matches, plenty of Australians are uh, in action and there'll be plenty of storylines again. Obviously, the big story yesterday uh, that came through, uh, as soon as you heard that Nick Kyrgios was calling a snap press conference, you knew it wasn't going to be good news and you probably knew that he was going to withdraw from the tournament. That was the case uh, and uh, news that you know disappointed everyone. I'm sure a lot of people were looking forward uh, to his first round match tonight and just seeing how far he could go uh, in the tournament. So yesterday morning, uh, we spoke to Mark Woodford uh, on the show and he spoke about Nick and his chances and also Alex Demonor and his chances. Uh, this was Mark's reaction to the news about Nick Kyrgios yesterday. Shocked. Uh, Australia was... Right behind, you, you know, the, the closest thing after Ash Barty, mm. the next best thing was probably Kyrgios. Oh. Yep. He gave himself a legitimate chance, obviously, with the result of Wimbledon last year, just falling one match short of winning his first Grand Slam title. And everything seemed to be looking good. I wasn't overly alarmed when he actually pulled out of the United Cup. He no. just tried to freshen up for the AO. Yeah, I, I, I had no inkling. I don't so that was uh, Mark on uh, SEN Tennis yesterday uh, with Brett Phillips and, and listening to Nick speak yesterday. It was clearly that uh, pretty tough hit out he had with his doubles partner, Tanasi Kokonakis, uh, the day before, that he just didn't feel right and therefore the decision was made. So he's out of the Australian Open. So it's a, it's a problem with meniscus uh, in his knee. And you've seen the, if you've seen the, the images that have been put up of uh, some of the fluid that's been drained because of the cyst that's been in there. You can understand some of the difficulty and the discomfort that Nick Kyrgios has been in. But what does it mean 
for his short-term future. How quickly can he get uh, back onto the court and get himself back? And, and look, he'd love to have a year like he did last year. You know, Wimbledon uh, final, quarterfinals at the US Open. And, and as Mark Woodford said, he came into the Australian Open for the first time, genuinely believing he could win it. Uh, Dr. Peter Larkins uh, joined Simon, Simon O'Donnell and Sam Edmund on breakfast this morning to talk about the specific injury that Nick Kyrgios has. Yeah, well, a meniscus tear is sort of the common cartilage tear that people use in the everyday language, and uh, they can occur either in the inner half of the knee, the medial, or in this case, the lateral, the outer half of the knee. So that's an everyday thing, not only in the sporting world, but in people that can twist their knee, just you know, falling over in the shower or, or stumbling down the stairs. Um, but the, the problem is when you get the cyst, it's actually leaking a fluid, a bit like a blister attached to the, to the meniscus tear. So it's a sack of fluid that pushes out against the side of the knee. So they did try to drain that and and reduce the pressure in the knee. But the bottom line is he's got a meniscus mm. tear that generates that problem. So the arthroscope treatment was pretty much invented in the early days for, for meniscus tears. That's what it first came yeah. along in the 1970s to do arthroscopes of knees. But the problem is you will have to remove, and someone in Nick's age, you're not going to repair it or stitch it back like you might do in a teenager. It's more likely when it's already got a cyst attached that the meniscus will be quite soft and, and quite broken down. So... It would have gotten worse if he played. I guess the you know, consequence of playing on would have been he just would have got sore and not been able to twist and turn. So the, the decision to get it done so it doesn't become a bigger tear makes sense. But, of course, then he's got to recover from that because he will have part of that cushioning. Because the meniscus mm. serves partly as a cushioning in the knee and ma- means you'll lose some of that. So you can't return too soon after this sort of arthroscope because of the risk of swelling and continuing soreness. So it's going to be an interesting road back uh, for Nick Kyrgios and just exactly when he returns to the court. Apart from Nick's injury, and that, obviously that was the dominant story, it's a really good day for the Australian uh, men yesterday, even going late into the night. Uh, Rinky Hitchikata uh, won in five sets. He was two sets to love down. John Millman also won in five sets. And Jason Kubler's coming off his best year. He's ranked number 84 in the world. He's had a heap of injury problems, and for the first time, uh, he won a match at the Australian Open. He won uh, in straight sets. Let's have a listen to Jason Kubler and John Millman's reaction to their wins. Definitely, definitely some nerves. Um, you know, as you said before, it's the first time I've won here in singles, so a bit of nerves. But also, he's he's a great opponent. You know, he's a great player. Um, you get him on the clay, you don't, you don't really want to see that. So. Um, yeah, definitely nerves, but I was able to pull it together and win those important points. Luckily, I was able to serve quite well. So, uh, super happy to get through and, and super happy to get the win today. Yeah, I'm just so happy that I'm, um, I'm able to perform in front of my home country. Um, hearing everyone cheer for me, you know, it's something you don't hear overseas, you know, when you're playing other, other countries. But, yeah, super, super special. I had, I had a little run last year in the mixed doubles, but uh, hopefully this year I can do something in the singles. No, nah, look, it's it's awesome. They're, they're the ones you remember, you know, the ones where you you leave it, absolutely everything out there. Um, I'm pretty cooked now. You know, I'm, I'm a little exhausted at the moment, but they're, they're really the ones you remember. I had a lot of people come down from Brisbane to, to come and watch me, and you can see them throughout the crowd, and... And they're special, you know. Long after I stop playing tennis, they'll be the ones that kind of stick with me. You know, I thought my opponent today was was really good. He's not a household name just yet, but um, you know that doesn't don't take anything away from that. You know, for me, it's uh, as memorable as you know any match that I played. It was a lot of fun out there, and and it does give you confidence. I think I kind of had a bit of confidence after playing, uh, you know, four matches in a row in Adelaide. Um, that was a really good blowout. 
and coming here I felt like the body's been probably as good as it has been in the last probably 12 months so I was confident in the body but after playing four plus hours a five set match like that you definitely get even more confidence in the body and that moving forward is a really big plus for me. Just seems like a good bloke, John Millman. The sort of bloke you could just have a beer with. No ego. And uh, it's going to be tough, though, for the three Aussie men that won yesterday. So next up tomorrow, the three men back in action. So Millman plays Daniel Medvedev. Rinky Hitchikata plays Stefano Sitsipas. So you got the number seven seed Medvedev, the number three seed in Sitsipas. And Kubler takes on the number 18 seed uh, Karen Kachanov. So uh, tough path through to the third round uh, for those three Aussie men. We'll return to the tennis later. We'll talk some footy too uh, later on in this hour. Some injuries around the competition yesterday. We'll hear from Nathan Buckley, uh, who was on with Dwayne Russell yesterday. Some interesting thoughts on the Magpies in, in particular, uh, who their next captain uh, should be. But after the break, let's turn our attention to the uh, wildcard week, weekend uh, in the NFL, the last of the games. Huge one coming up the this afternoon, it's the biggest franchise in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, against arguably the biggest name, one of the biggest names the sport has ever produced, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. ESPN's Phil Murphy will join us after the break to talk the results so far and give us a preview of that match. This is Mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Cousins, Hawkinson, he is not going to get there, and the Giants will take over. What a game. First postseason win for the Giants since their Super Bowl run with Eli Manning. And now they play the Eagles in Philadelphia, a familiar foe, next weekend. What a game that will be next weekend, the rivals, the Giants and the Eagles. As always, you don't even have to love the NFL to love this time of the year. The NFL playoffs always produces great games, close games, great storylines. And to take us through all the great stories so far out of the wildcard weekend is ESPN's Phil Murphy, who joins us. G'day, Phil. Uh, g'day. And you said, it, you said it perfectly. You don't even need to be somebody who gets up, you know, 3, 4, 5 a.m. <laughs> Monday morning for the last four months to enjoy this time of year. The competitive parity, the, the storylines, uh, the drama, it's, it's, it's terrific sport. What's been the story of the wildcard weekend so far from your point of view, Phil? Uh, for me, there there are probably two that stand out: one good, one bad. Uh, the, we'll start with the bad. It, it's it's the LA Chargers who were in a position mm-hmm. of 27 points early on to the Jaguars on the road. The air was taken out of the arena in Jacksonville, and then they just watched the lead salt away. They they were very aggressive with their play calling. They, they some mismanagement uh, with the clock, and really gave the the Jags an opportunity, even though it was a, a narrow one, but but left the door ever so ajar and. Trevor Lawrence, one of the great young QBs in the NFL, was was keen to capitalize, and he had it was a story of two halves for him. He threw four interceptions in the first half, and four touchdowns in the second half, and the Jags had the third biggest comeback in NFL playoff history, and and got that that partisan crowd back in the game, and, and had a terrific comeback win. So I think the the collapse of the Chargers now may lead to a change somewhere in the coaching staff, mm. whether it's the head coach or an offensive coordinator. But that's one of the big stories that come out of Wild Card Weekend. The other is from yesterday, the Giants going into Minnesota and, and beating a team in the Vikings who went 11-0 and in games decided by a one-score margin this regular season. Best margin in one-score games in NFL history. And the Giants not only won, but they won a one-score game and, and kept Minnesota at home. A Giants team that was maybe the most inept offensively in, the, in last year's entire season 
didn't make really any categorical changes to personnel, but they did make a change at head coach. Brian Dable, the former Bills offensive coordinator, took over in New York, found a system that worked with the pieces they have, and now they're into the last eight in the, in the NFL and, and the last four in the NFC. So it's a remarkable turnaround for that team, and really they've been punching above their weight class all season. I think that's one of the more exciting, positive stories to come out of the weekend. So can they go further? Can, can they beat the Eagles next week? Oh, they absolutely can. What it's going to take is uh, them controlling the ball, as they did against the Vikings. They, they are very schematically sound. You can tell it's a team that's well-coached. And anytime you see one of the Giants receivers catch a pass, he knows, even if his back's to the play, if he's in space or if he has a defender adjacent to him. And that's just really keen awareness of, what the play design is and, and why the ball is being thrown their way and what the coverage is. And you can tell that because when a guy's in space, he instinctively turns up field, gets chunk yardage. But if there's a defender on him, a, a player catches the ball and then almost dives forward for an extra yard or two. And if you watch around the league, that's not a common thing. But I can count on one hand the amount of time that the Giants were surprised by the placement of the defense. And it's going to take that to continue against the Eagles. They're going to have to play a better game. Philadelphia is a better, more complete team than the Vikings. But there is some concern about the fitness of of Jalen Hurts' shoulder. And this is the first time that this Eagles team has been in the playoffs with a measure of expectation. They were the last team in a year ago. Not to say that they were happy to be there, but they they were the underdogs and they were one and done. Now all eyes Mm. are on them and that pressure amplifies. And if it's a close game late, I think that pressure is only going to mount and may give the Giants an opportunity to, to ride this further. They feel like they're playing with house money at this point. Got one off our 40 Winks uh, temper text machine here, Phil. I'm a flat Ravens fan. We had the Bengals on the ropes. Huntley's fumble cost us the game. If M- Lamar plays, we win. So that was from Michael uh, from Richmond uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, what about Lamar Jackson? Where's he going to be next season? Man, uh, my my buddy from Richmond, go Tigers! I I hope he's with Baltimore. I think I think the league is going to be better if he stays in Baltimore. That that's a pillar franchise, and they seem to have built a very good team around him. The complication with Lamar Jackson is the the, the player and the front office were at a bit of an impasse in that Lamar wanted a lucrative long term extension, and the front office, you know, whether or not they would voice it, it seemed as though their concern was about his durability and the guaranteed money that would be in that deal. Now, Lamar represents himself in free agency. He doesn't have an agent. But where this is complicated is it seems as though both sides had their case strengthened with what happened this year. From Lamar's standpoint, this team cannot contend for a Super Bowl without him. With him, he's an MVP caliber player, and they are perhaps, you know, they may be in that top tier of the AFC or or a half step below the Chiefs and the Bills. Remember, they were 7-3 and when – he started to have a little bit of a a, a nagging injury concern and then ultimately didn't play after the Broncos game. And like, like, like um, our our friend Richmond said, they absolutely would have won that game if Lamar played full stop. I don't think there's any dispute over that, but if the front office is saying they're concerned about his durability, Mm -hmm. well, now this is the second season where he's missed a significant number of uh, number of games and significant number of games at the end of the year. Again, he hasn't played since gosh, they played Denver. I believe the beginning of December and and now how much money are you willing to dedicate to a guy who his style, he's going to get hit in the backfield. He holds onto the ball. He's very brave with the ball in his hand. He, he, he's willing to take the extra half beat if it means it's getting one of his players open. He runs the ball a lot. And usually when you run the ball, you get tackled. So he's a guy who's getting hit far more than the average quarterback. So it is probably the most compelling individual player storyline this offseason. 
what happens with Lamar Jackson? He did not. He was playing. His deal's done. Now he's he's going to enter free agency. What does Baltimore do? I think he's keen to stay there, but there are a lot of complications because of what we saw and the structure of the type of deal that he wants. I really do think anything is on the table. But as a as a partisan supporter, I, I, I cheer for the Broncos. I barrack for them. So I, I, I would just say I think the NFL would be better off if, if, if they can find a way to keep him in a Ravens helmet. Speaking of Phil Murphy from ESPN about the NFL playoffs. So the Bengals got through that one with the Ravens. They now play the Bills. Uh, the Bills, yes, I mean, it's been such an emotional time for the Bills with the whole DeMar Hamlin situation. Were they a bit flat yesterday? Is there concerns they were pushed that much by this by a Dolphins team ahead of this game against the Bengals next week? Yeah, I think there are a number of possible concerns, none of which really would concern me in a vacuum of playing the Bengals next week. I mean, you mentioned the emotional dip. They had their first game back. Naheem Hines runs the first touchback for a touchdown um, in their first game after DeMar Hamlin's on-field cardiac arrest. Hamlin's recovering very, very well. Everybody's feeling very optimistic about his long-term health. So the Bills, their first game back was against the Patriots at home. They, you know, were terrific. Now they have a game that they were expected to win handily. And I think whether it's looking past an opponent or it's a little bit of an emotional dip, um, you know, kind of an adrenaline dump, um, those things I'm not worried about. What worries me is the occasional sloppiness of of Josh Allen, their quarterback. Prior to two seasons ago, that was his, his big Achilles heel, was turning the ball over, um, you know, maybe not seeing the defense well. His offensive coordinator from his career turnaround and turning him into an MVP caliber player, as I mentioned, Brian Dable, went to the Giants this offseason. He has a new offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey who was on Dable's staff as a quarterback coach. And for much of the season, Josh Allen has looked like Josh Allen, but there were these just moments where an ill-advised throw or holding onto the ball, we saw it in the Vikings loss at home, we saw it in spurts against the Dolphins. That's what might concern me but more so against the Chiefs than against the, the Bengals. The Bengals' offensive line is just decimated. They played the first 15 games with the same five starters in their offensive line. They've lost 60% of their starting offensive line in the last three weeks to injuries. So they've had a complete upheaval there. They're struggling to, to protect Joe Burrow. I, I have a hard time seeing Cincinnati getting the offense going, and I don't think the Bills are going to overlook back-to-back opponents. So I think it was the right time for mm-hmm. a wake-up call. They were fortunate to get the win. And now we move on, and, and they're slight favorites at home. But I, I think they're going to win that game fairly comfortably. The Brock Purdy story at the 49ers is unbelievable. Mr. Irrelevant, since the start of week 14, when he had his first start, he's statistically the best quarterback in the NFL. It, it, it's an unbelievable story uh, at San Francisco developing. Can he? How much further can he lead this team? Oh, they, they can win the Super Bowl. They absolutely can win the Super Bowl. And the nice thing about it is, and I don't say this as a cynic or to Brock Purdy's detriment, Brock Purdy doesn't need to be the best quarterback in any game he plays in for that team to win. They have statistically the best scoring defense in the NFL. Their their scheme is, is ferocious defensively. And then you look around the skill positions, they have one of the most diverse running backs in the league, Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. They have perhaps, I would say, the second best red zone target amongst tight ends in George, in George Kittle. And they have, I, I would say, the best receiver in terms of yards after the catch in Debo Samuel. They have those three guns on offense they can turn to. Debo Samuel in yesterday's, or the game, or the win two days ago, he had 133 receiving yards. 109 of the 133 were after the catch. 
NFL all season, there have only been two players with more than 100 yards after the catch in a game. Their names are Debo Samuel and Debo Samuel. They, they are able to just get that guy in space, get him the ball, and Brock Purdy knows how to throw him in stride. He's, he's been coached well, and he's, he's, he hasn't been, the moment hasn't been too big for him. The test is going to be next week. They're at home. They're either going to play a Cowboys team with a very explosive offense and a very aggressive defense, or if the Bucks beat the Cowboys later today on ESPN, then he's going to be playing against Tom Brady <laughs> in Brady's hometown of San Francisco and all that that carries. These teams played earlier this season. It was a funny story. Brock Purdy's parents purchased tickets to that game, not because they thought their son was going to play. They said, oh, we'd be keen to watch Tom Brady. And they ended up seeing their son's first start against Brady, and, and Purdy got the win. But it, it's a whole different kettle of fish with the playoffs on the line and Tom Brady and that mystique. If the, if the Bucks can get the win today and people are thinking, is this the last ride? It's, it's, it's a very compelling storyline in that game. But as I think, I hope I've, I've, I've articulated, there's basically a really compelling storyline in every game we have the rest of the way. Today's game, we only have eight games left all NFL season. That includes the Super Bowl. Um, so today is you know number eight of eight, and then we'll just count down from there. But everyone has a little bit more. Uh, at stake than the one that preceded it. And today's is huge. As you mentioned, you've got the biggest franchise in the NFL, the Cowboys, coming up against the biggest name in the NFL, uh, Tom Brady. Can he do it again? Can he get them past Dallas? And if he doesn't, have we potentially seen the last of Tom Brady? Well, at 45, I think it's fair to question that any season. (laughs) By the time next season kicks off, Tom Brady will be 46 years of age. I mean, tell me the sport outside of golf where somebody can still compete at the highest level at age 46, but Tom Brady has done it. Uh, his, his route to doing it is staying upright. The, the Bucks are terrific about getting the ball out of his hands quickly and keeping Brady from getting hit. Um, he's, he's not mobile, but he often goes on one or two reads at his wide receivers. Where that may get him into trouble today is Dallas is very, very aggressive defensively. Their defensive backs usually jump on the first move. If you can buy a quarterback some time, you can really hurt Dallas, but that hasn't been how the Bucks have operated offensively. And to be honest, their offense has lacked a little bit of creativity in spurts. Brady's been great in the fourth quarter, but you're playing against a Dallas offense since Dak Prescott returned, you know, last week's embarrassing loss in Washington, notwithstanding, they've been one of the better offenses in the NFL. So if Dallas can return to form, it's going to take 28 points to beat this team. And you're not always going to be able to go on the first read because inevitably, invariably, one of those will be jumped and you'll throw an interception. So it's going to be very interesting how Tampa attacks Dallas. Uh, Dallas are slight favorites in Tampa, which is which tells you all you need to know about how people have been a little bit pessimistic about Brady and, and the boys this season. But, I mean, that, that magic is real, man. I was on the sideline for when they came back and beat the Saints, and there's just something intangible in the arena that you cannot deny. And it's not just the 52 men on the sidelines. It's, it's 50,000 who are watching the game who just know – Number 12 is going gonna, is gonna to find a way to do it again. So if it's close late, Brady has the ball, all of us will be on the edge of our seats because it may be just a yet another chapter for the greatest player to ever play this game. Yeah, you mentioned before you are a Denver Broncos fan. Uh, who's uh, going to coach the yeah. Broncos next year? Wasn't a great season. I <laughs> know uh, it was a terrible season. I, I would hope it's Sean Payton, but I think my, uh, that's a little bit optimistic. Sean Payton, the former Saints coach, mm-hmm. has taken a couple of years off. He's done some analysis. He is the far and away the best head coaching option um, for any team. What I would be interested in, I'd be keen to see the Broncos do, and this is just me again talking selfishly as a fan, there's a a young coordinator, a former guy who played for the Texans, D'Amico Ryans, who's a a young, hot name. He's a defensive mind. 
if he could be the head coach and they can get an offensive coordinator who is okay to work around Russell Wilson, I'd be interested to see how that might work out to where Russell's not being asked to do too much, but Denver's defense for much of the year was top five in the NFL. So just embrace who you are, a great defensive team with some young offensive skill talent. If you can get a proper offensive coordinator in there, Again, you're going up against the Chiefs in, in the AFC West. That's a tall task. I don't think there's any circumstance under which Denver catches them next year. But they do have a young skill position players pretty much everywhere the ball gets touched. There's an avenue that they're not that far away. And if you look at some of the losses they had, I mean, they really should have won another game or two or three. So, yeah, if not Sean Payton, I would like to see a D'Amico Ryans get in there. But that it, 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 the Russell Wilson year one has been such a – I mean, you, you'd think they hit rock bottom, but I'll tell you, a couple times watching games this year, I swore <laughs> that team already hit rock bottom, and God bless, God bless them, someone found a shovel, and they just found a way to, to recede. So um, my, my, my enthusiasm is curbed heading into next season, but the, the new era starts with whomever, with whomever they get to lead the team as a head coach next year. And before I let you go, Phil, I did notice you did say go Tigers when I mentioned Michael from Richmond before. Does that mean you have an inkling to the Tigers in the AFL or was that you just trying to make Michael from Richmond feel good? Well, no. I mean, I have been to one AFL match and it was the 2019 Grand Final against GWS. And whether I liked it or not... Well, a great game. Because the guy who gave me... Yeah, the, well, the guy who gave me the tickets was a Tigers supporter, so he bought me a scarf and you know taught mm-hmm. me the song and um, I, I, we struck up from Tigerland uh, more than a time or two uh, in, in that match. So, you know what? I mean, if, if there was one fan base and supporters group to embrace me, it was the Tigers. So, I mean, my daughter has a little has a shirt for, uh, for she's she's two and a half, and uh, she wasn't even yet born then. But you know, they they gave her a shirt for when she came through. So. Yeah, I would say this is a Tigers household. There you go. Well, you won from one. You've been to a grand final and they won it. So uh, why not be on the Tigers bandwagon? Hey, Phil, thanks Invite so much. Invite me back for some more. <laughs> We're from Tigerland, a fighting spirit. I one of the great songs in world sport. I think they're going to have a pretty good year too, Phil. They've uh, recruited well, so could be a good year for the Tigers. Hey, thanks so much for your time. We can't wait to catch all the action on ESPN with yourself and, and the team. Uh, enjoy this afternoon's game. My pleasure. You enjoy it as well. Great to have Phil Murphy on the show. Reminder to stream every NFL game this season. Only eight to go live on the NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com.au. Let's get to the newsroom. Hannah Pavlou, how excited she's going to be today. The, the Geelong Premiership Cup is in the building. I'm surprised she's not dressed head to toe in cat's gear. But let's get the latest from the newsroom with Anna. Mornings on SEN. It's against my philosophy in, in, in terms of investing. Not not take Brody Grundy and Max Gorn out of it, but like investing that larger percentage of your cap, hmm. I can only assume, into the ruck role. I, I, I think the jury's out on what that actually does, you know, in a bigger picture. So... I don't know, like, say from a percentage, if it's if it's like 8 or 9% of your cap and it goes there, like, does it mean that you're tight in other parts of the field? Yeah. You know, or, or in other, you know, top-end talent in, in other roles? And the question, I reckon, I, my, personally, I think, yeah, I think you can over-invest in, in Ruckman. I, I don't like the idea of using first-round picks, even though Brody was, but he was one of three, 18, 19, 20 there in a row, so that made some sense. Um, I don't know exactly what Melbourne's strategy is. I mean, you take you know Luke Jackson out and you put Brody Grundy in, and the easy thing is to s- suspect that they'll probably do something similar. Yeah. But uh, Max has worked forward. Brody hasn't done a lot of work forward yet. 
Um, you've got two Can number he? one ruckmen. Can and, he be and, a forward? Well, he, he's going to have to be. Right. Isn't he? Yeah, probably. I, I think yeah. so too. Having said that, you've got to remember that, you know, if one of them isn't available for some reason for injury, they're in a really good, mm. they're in a really good <laughs> spot. But that doesn't change what you've committed out of your yeah. list, uh, out, of your, out of your salary cap to, to that role. So, um, yeah, that, that is, it is a fascinating question. It's a fascinating situation, and we'll all be watching that one to see how it pans out. And the first five or six weeks won't give us enough. You've got to give this, mm. you've probably got to give this 12 to 24 months to know exactly how it's going to play out. Really interesting stuff there from Nathan Buckley. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. That was Bucks, as you could hear, at the tennis. You hear a bit of screeching and a few balls being hit in the background. He was on with Dwayne Russell yesterday. Uh, Melbourne fans, your thoughts on that? Do you share some reservations or are you just 100% in on Grundy and Gorn? It's exciting. What can they do? How will it work? It'll make us a better team. And Collingwood fans as well, you coped really well without Brody Grundy last year. No doubt about that. Finished top four, but clearance numbers were poor. Uh, you're confident you can cope without him again. You know, you've got Darcy Cameron, you've got Mason Cox. Uh, Cameron had a really good year. You're confident he can replicate that? Or do you, do you still have concerns that Brody Grundy is no longer on your list and therefore uh, in your team? Uh, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Send us through at uh, 40 Winks, temper text, 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like now. I'll play some audio shortly of Nathan Buckley talking about the Collingwood the next Collingwood captain in his eyes. But I've uh, got a couple of callers uh, on the line. Uh, Clint from Ballarat wants to talk to the Tigers. G'day, Clint. G'day, boys. Always want to talk about the best team in the comp, the Tigers. Don't joking. <laughs> Mate, I just heard on the uh, on the grapevine that Sparkle Markle has lost eight kilos in the last three months and he's training at Richmond after Geelong delisted him. That is right, Clint. He is. We spoke to uh, Josh Gabalich from AFL.com.au about this on Friday. I saw the vision. Uh, if you go onto afl.com.au, there's some vision of him. Looks magnificent. Uh, looks fit. Dropped the eight kilos and certainly doing everything he possibly can to get that spot uh, at Richmond. Uh, there's two players there looking for that last spot. But uh, we know he's got talent. Quite often the knock on him uh, has been his fitness and his ability to run out games as a midfielder. So dropping eight kilos is certainly going to help. So Clint, he's doing everything right and uh, we'll find out uh, very shortly, whether he gets his spot on that Richmond list or not. Let's go to John in Port Augusta. He wants to talk uh, rivalries in the AFL, Johnny. Morning, Julian. Who's, uh, I know you're a Bombers man. Who's your biggest rival, Big Carlton? Wouldn't that be your vintage? Uh, Carlton, narrowly ahead of Hawthorne, yes. <laughs> well, I, my oldest brother, who's unfortunately passed, he was a vout Bombers man like yourself. And um, he was a few years older than me. And um, he, um, he hated the Hawthorne door. I wouldn't say hatred. Oh, like in a footy Hawthorne. sense. Yeah, you can have hatred in a footy yeah, sense. Yeah, you're yep. right. You're right. In a sporting sense. And from the early to mid-80s, when they were big rivalries, when they were big rivals, those three grand finals in 83, 84, mm-hmm. and 85, he didn't, he didn't have a lot of love for Hawthorne. But um, I reckon the rivalry's great. I mean, like, you know, I'm a port man. Yep. I can't stand the Crows because the Crows put it on port and all the rest of it. It's all a sparrow, this, that, the other thing, and whatever else. And, uh, yeah, but the bottom line is they uh, – a lot of their supporters are new to football. They like, didn't have a patch an old VFL club and all the rest of it. There's a percentage that have followed the old VFL, SRNFL and whatever else. 
said he's going to gain a football. And, yeah, they're the sort of supporters I can't stand, to be honest. <laughs> so, Johnny, I want to ask you, outside of the obvious one, Adelaide, as a port man, who do you want to beat the most outside of Adelaide? Um, well, I'm not Andy Collingwood. I'm not Andy. I'm not Andy. I've got a lot of respect for Victorian football. I watching a lot of the old VFL and all in the late 70s through the 80s, into the 90s. Um, I don't dislike a lot of clubs farm the Crows. Probably West Coast a little bit because you're similar to the Crows in a way, you know, a state side or the rest of it where every, every second person barracks for them. And um, that turns me off a bit, to be totally honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Johnny. I appreciate your call. Let's get to Andrew and Nidri. I know he's a big bomber, but he wants to talk about Brody Grundy. G'day, Andrew. Yeah, yes, and uh, belated uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, you too, mate. Uh, Brody, uh, this is the biggest stuff-up Coleman's made in, in at least 20 years. Why is that? Uh, well, I think Brody Grundy is is an A-listed player, and I think he'll add value to the Melbourne side, and I don't think Coleman's gain anything by losing him. And I think that he'll play um, in the midfield. I, I reckon he can actually play as a, as a midfielder, uh, like a big-body midfielder-type player roaming around that, that centre area and let um, the other ruckman just uh, take the big marks down the forward line. Yeah, no, I think they've done really well, Melbourne, and I don't. And, and I think uh, Nathan Buckley's philosophy um, is, is totally um, well. You know, he's, he's wrong. He's totally wrong, and we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Absolutely, and I've uh, got one sort of a different view on the Forty Winks temper here, Matt. I'm assuming as a Collingwood fan, Craig McRae didn't put a foot wrong last season, so if he thinks we can go into the 2023 season without an A grade ruckman, we just need to trust he knows what he is doing. Thanks for your call, uh, Andrew. Uh, Sam, hang on from Keel or Downs. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now. Welcome back to the show on this hot Melbourne day. Top of 36 today. Huge crowds already swarming into Melbourne Park. Play just about to get underway on day two of the Australian Open. Uh, As I look out the window of the studio here, I can see all these Geelong fans in the building just flocking around the Premiership Cup. Anna Pavlou from the newsroom. She is up and about. Got a smile on her face from ear to ear. The Premiership Cup is in the building today. I'm not even sure half these people work at SEN. I mean, they've just come in off the street as Cats fans to get uh, close to the Cup. But uh, well done. You've got to celebrate it until the season starts. And then remember, we're all back on zero when it comes to round one. Bombers equal top going into the season. That's how it works. Hey, it's time for a uh, coffee catch-up. The Deluxe Ice Coffee range from McCafe. Head to drive through for the Deluxe Ice Coffee range from McCafe. It's real coffee, real deluxe. So big year. As we said, it's the year of World Cups in sport 2023. And another World Cup being played this year is the Netball World Cup. It is in South Africa. The Diamonds, of course, will go in favourites, as they do for pretty much every time they play. But they've got a nice little quad series coming up in South Africa. It's being played in Cape Town, where they play South Africa, New Zealand and England. So three of the really big nations uh, in world netball. It's from Jan 22 to 26. And uh, Diamonds legend and former captain Catherine Cox uh, is heading over to cover it for Fox Sports and also KO. And she's been good enough to join us this morning. Uh, Kath, what an exciting tournament in one of the great uh, cities of the world in Cape Town. Oh, look, any time you get together on a plane post-COVID is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first overseas trip and I can't tell you how long. So, yeah, I'm super pumped. And certainly to be able to get back to 
uh, South Africa will be fantastic. I toured there a few times as a player, but I haven't been over there in this sort of capacity before. Magnificent tournament when you've got uh, four of the best nations in the world uh, all playing. The matches are jam-packed in. Uh, so it's, it's a big one for the Diamonds in, in what is a big year. Yeah, look, it's a massive opportunity for them. Um, the World Cup is in July, so six months away. This will be the last taste of international netball for any of these teams. So it is extremely important for the players, for the coaching staff, for, you know, Stacey Marinkovic, the head coach of the Diamonds, will be using it to look at combinations. She'll be using it to suss out what the other teams are up to and really do some reconnaissance stuff. But it is uh, the good thing about it is it'll be in exactly the same venue that the World Cup will be. So they'll be able to get over there, get their bearings a little bit, work out what they need to um, to, to do to make themselves comfortable by the time the tournament comes around. But, you know, what a great opportunity to play the best countries in the world. The only other country that's not there from that top echelon is Jamaica. Um, but they will certainly have a really good taste and a really good touch on some international talent. Given as you touched on there, the World Cup is not too far away. It's being played in South Africa. Obviously, every time you play for the Diamonds, you want to win, and winning is really important. But is trying a few things and, 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 and testing a few things out against these teams, is that almost as important as winning uh, in these matches in this series? Look, this is the part that fascinates me the most, and I really can't wait to get over there. There'll be a lot of foxing going on from the coaches. I don't think anyone's going to want to put out their top teams, run them the whole time, show what they do, what their, you know, some of their predictable traits are. I think they'll really be trying to keep a bit up their sleeve um, and keep some of their tricks of the trade until you know July, maybe some of their new combinations. But Stacey Marinkovic, the head coach of the Diamonds, is taking a few new faces that didn't play internationally last year. Sadly, Joe Weston has been ruled out with an injury, but um, in hindsight, probably a good thing because they need her for the World Cup. Young Tara Henschliff comes in, um, is yet to be capped, um, was elevated into the squad, wasn't even in the squad. And then Ash Brazel is coming back after having some time off at the end of last year. So there's been a few questions around non-selection and new selection. Um, but again, you know, as we said, Stacey Marinkovic, very few opportunities to put players on court at this level and see what they're capable of before she has to put pen to paper and make a selection. I guess it's a great problem for Stacey to have, that the depth of talent is so strong that, that picking a squad of 14 is really tough. Who would be the the two or three that would, would consider themselves unlucky not to be heading over to South Africa? Oh, look, it is ridiculously tough. We spoke about this so much through the international series last year. Um, and sadly for Stacey, every player put their hand up when they got their opportunity. So there wasn't any clear favourites. Um, Maddie Proud missed out on this particular um, tour overseas, the New South Wales Swifts captain. She was an MVP in one of the, the internationals last year. Amy Parmenta from the Giants also missed out on a spot. And then Danelle Wallen um, has a na- is a name that's yeah. come up a lot as well. She was a superstar shooter that won one of the games last year in the dying seconds and uh, really was a force to be reckoned with in the little court time that she had. But um, she's also not there. Doesn't mean they won't make the World Cup, but uh, they have missed out on this particular tour. I was going to ask you about Danelle. Were you surprised she's not on this tour? Yeah, look, I'm a bit yes and no. She's still very raw. Um, You know, only started playing last year uh, domestically for the Queensland Fire, but had a cracking year. And then, of course, we saw what she did for the Australian Diamonds. But 
I think she probably needs a little more time. But having said that, I also think she's been one of the strongest and one of the most consistent in what she's been delivering um, in her netball right through domestic season and also what she did for the Diamond. So Stacey will have her in the back of her mind. There are two ways about that. Uh, whether or not she takes her is probably a cause for, for both sides of the argument. We're speaking to Catherine Cox, big quad series between Australia, South Africa, England and New Zealand. Uh, not too far away from getting underway in Cape Town, uh, South Africa. The, the Diamonds have beaten these three teams in their most recent meetings. Just looking ahead probably towards the World Cup, is it still New Zealand that, that pose the biggest threat to the Diamonds? Oh, look, I think realistically probably New Zealand, Jamaica and England. England have been very inconsistent, very hot and cold. But if they can turn it on, um, they're an exceptional side. They're sitting just over 900 test caps of experience in that side. So they've got the players to do it. Um, as I said, though, just been really a bit up and down for me in recent times. New Zealand always bring the goods and... Um, recent form they look like they're peaking too so um, I, I feel like Nolene Tarua their, their head coach is one of the greatest of all time she's the mastermind she will have them firing by the World Cup New Zealand are the current world champions so they'll want to retain that as best they can and then Jamaica was who Australia played in the gold medal match at the Commonwealth Games recently so that was their first final at a big event um, and they're full of superstars in that team as well so uh, there's not going to be any easy runs that's for sure they'll be nervous about a, a fair few teams they take on you've been part of diamonds uh, setups obviously and uh, you know every time the diamonds play in a major tournament every time they play i think australians expect them to win as you said there <laughs> new zealand are the recent world champions uh within the group how would they be feeling about that with a with a world cup not too far away yeah, look, we just do that to any Aussie, don't we? That's not, that's not netball. We expect every Aussie to win when they're out there doing whatever they're doing. But, yeah, look, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and when I was playing, we always found the most nerve-wracking game was the semi-final because Australia had never not been in a final. So you don't want to ever be the first team to not make a big final of a big tournament. So we always found that first game quite nerve-wracking. Then the pressure was off and you could almost just, you know... Just play, go out there and play a little bit, which seems weird because that's really, you know, the big game at the end of it. But um, they'll be feeling that pressure and they'll be feeling it a lot earlier now. Um, These days, a lot more teams probably um, will challenge them. So they'll find themselves dealing with some speed bumps during the rounds, not just when they get to the finals. 2022 was certainly an interesting year for netball. All the controversy around the the grand final being switched or the, you know, locked in. Uh, not the home team necessarily getting the grand final, even though in the end it did work out like that. And all the the drama over the sponsorship. Uh, is it going to be calm waters in 2023, do you think? Oh, God, let's hope so. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I feel like this is also a stepping stone into being a really professional sport. And, you know, there's going to be rocky roads and there's going to be things that people aren't happy with, but it's all part of turning, you know, big-time professional. Um, netball's due to do that now. The grand final for the AFL, always been in Melbourne. And I think the good thing about last year is we knew where it was going to be early. I think it took a while for the players to get their heads around that. But it just means so much more in what you're able to offer, um, you know, in terms of corporate functions and all that sort of stuff that go with being part of a, um, and, you know, a sport that's functioning at a really high level. So, yes, a little teething issues, I think. But now everyone's kind of got their heads around that. And um, let's just hope that it is a lot smoother and they can focus on getting out there on court and doing what they need to do, which is bringing home gold medals for us. That's right. I guess what 
a lot of us you know, or people might not have been aware, I guess, was the the financial state that Netball Australia was in. Even though the the sport is so successful, we're so good at it. You know, the our domestic league is so good, and the Diamonds have always been so successful. Does that? How much does that still concern you? The financial problems that uh, still linger in the sport. Oh look, I think it's probably every sport's got their issues with that to some degree. Um, I, I didn't realise how bad it was. Uh, it's nice for it to actually all be aired, so we are all across that as a sport. We can work together for what we need to do. Um, I don't think we're we're in a position to worry now. I think um, particularly after the successes of the Diamonds of recent times, the success of that grand final last year in Perth. It was huge. It was sold out within seconds. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people have really thrown their hat in the ring and wanting to support the team now. Secured a nice little sponsorship for the next couple of years through um, Visit Victoria too. Yeah. So I, I reckon they're in a pretty good position for now. And as I said, just gives them that uh, ability to relax and go and do what they do so well, which is just play. Just with the the grand final, we've seen, you know, this issue's really exploded uh, in the A-League in, in recent months as well. Do you think the sport and the league is in a position that if you lock in the grand final, that even if the team from that state is not playing, that uh, you will get a sellout? Yeah, look, I don't know about that. We'll see how that plays out. I mean, it was the dream run, wasn't it, last year that they locked it in in WA and WA made the final. This year, it's already been locked in in Melbourne. You've got two very strong teams in Melbourne, so chances are one of them will be there. But I think, you know, the quality of netball that's been put out at the moment, um, the calibre of players, um, all, you know, household names to a degree, I think we'll be able to pull a full stadium no matter where it is, which is great. Um, And if not, then you can always catch it on Fox. Can't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Fox, KO Minis, KO. It's it's all there for you to watch. Uh, just before you head off uh, to South Africa, what do you like on the, the long-haul flights? you got a game plan, a couple of movies, you're into a show. How, how do you get through the long haul? Yeah, there's no game plan at the moment. Um, I'm just trying to work out what time it is in South Africa and kind of work back. I think I'll put myself on the clock over there and then work back. But there'll definitely be a champagne at some point and a nap shortly after. (laughs) Magnificent. Uh, As Catherine mentioned, all the action can be seen exclusively on Fox Netball and live and free via KO Freebies. KO Mini Games will also be available for free via KO Freebies. Uh, Catherine, safe travels. Uh, We look forward to the tournament. And uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Yeah, thank you too. Have a good one. Yeah, she's a ripper, Catherine Cox, and that's a great tournament, lead-up tournament uh, for the Diamonds ahead of the World Cup in South Africa uh, later this year. Just before we get to the break, a bit of drama down at Melbourne Park. So uh, yesterday there was a Russian flag that was displayed on Court 14 and it didn't go down well naturally with the uh, Ukraine ambassador uh, to Australia who made a complaint Uh, to Tennis Australia saying, why don't you have a neutral flag policy? Well, Tennis Australia has acted immediately. So uh, this is a story from Lauren Wood uh, in the Herald Sun. Russian and Belarusian flags have been banned at the Australian Open, effective immediately. Tournament organisers told News Corp on Tuesday morning that the flags had been initially allowed on the grounds at Melbourne Park while Russian and Belarusian players have been forced to play under a neutral flag in a tough stance against the country's invasion of Ukraine. But officials have clamped down following the display of a Russian flag on Court 14 on the opening day. 
Uh, in a statement from TA, flags from Russia and Belarus are banned on site at the Australian Open. Our initial policy was that fans could bring them in, but we could not use them to cause disruption. Yesterday, we had an incident where a flag was placed courtside. The ban is effective immediately. We will continue to work with the players and fans to ensure the best possible environment to enjoy the tennis. So a little bit of drama there that's been acted on pretty quickly uh, by the officials at Tennis Australia. Uh, after the break, uh, we've got some time to take your calls, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 I've got a few more 40 Winks tempers to read through. You can send them through at any time, Zero four double three. 98 11 16. Our consumer's choice winner temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Uh, interesting story developing in rugby league. Still no resolution uh, to their CBA, and things are really heating up. An interesting story from Phil Rothfield. Uh, we'll take you through that uh, after the break. We might. Uh, Explore that a bit more tomorrow uh, on the show. Uh, just a reminder to remember, only eight games to go, but you can still stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel in stock now. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show, not too far away from Dwayne's World. Now, there's a lot of people that are experts in tennis for a couple of weeks of year in Australia when the Australian Open rolls around, but we need to speak to someone that actually knows what they're talking about as we try and find some winners. You know, got some really tough matches today, like the one that's underway now between number five seed Andre Rublev and the unseeded Dominic Team. Got a heap of Aussies in action today. So that's why we need to speak to someone like Steve Quick from Ace Previews, one of the premier tennis tipsters in the game. He's going to join us throughout the tournament to chat tennis and also hopefully lead us into some winners. Uh, remember, find better tennis odds at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. And Steve joins us this morning. G'day, Steve. G'day. How are we going? Very well. Uh, I hope you're well yourself. As we say, these first couple of days, there's just matches on absolutely everywhere and it's, it's hard to keep track. Uh, let's just go back to to yesterday, uh, Johnny Millman's performance. He just, as I said before, he just seems like a, a cracking bloke, uh, Johnny Millman. And, uh, he dug deep yesterday and got the job done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you could find anyone who has a bad thing to say about uh, John Millman. And I think it was really important also for just the tournament in general. You know, the, the news of Nick Kyrgios pulling out a, a, a couple of hours earlier really kind of, you know, deflated a lot of people, you know, even just, you know around the grounds. But to see, you know, the, the full stadium there, to see, you know, Millman pull off another incredible comeback to, to win in five sets and then inspire, you know, another Aussie in Rinki Hijikata to be able to do the exact same thing, you know, a couple of hours later. It was just a, a great result, I think, for Australian tennis after a, a pretty disappointing lead-up with a lot of the, the withdrawals of the top players. Just give us a bit of insight about what you do, Steve. Uh, so ace previews, you obviously follow tennis year around. Just Just take us through exactly what you do. Yeah, sure. So my my main interest is is tennis in general. So I follow the the two a year round. So it runs for about eleven months of the the year, and there's basically tennis on somewhere around the world every every day through the the season there. So look, I do just keep an eye on obviously what's going on across the course of the year, and then you know there's obviously a, some increased interest, uh, particularly for the the Australian summer of tennis. So it's, it can be a little bit tricky to start the year with, with players who are, you know, coming off pre-seasons and coming off injuries and coming off disappointing years, but to be able to try and find find that balance and see how, how players go here, particularly at the Australian Open, it's, you know, it's a bit like a, 
you know, the, the AFL season going from pre-season straight into finals, yep. that these players are thrown into to, you know, a really a big stage so quickly. And look, as we see today, I think, you know, the, if I had to give you the best bet, it's probably sunscreen and plenty of fluids. <laughs> well, we're not on here for you to give us advice about protecting you from the sun. We want some winners. But uh, just on Nick Kyrgios, um, obviously the big story yesterday, really disappointing that he's not playing. What do you think, given the knee injury he had and the preparation he had, what were your expectations for Nick going into the tournament? I was uncertain. I think a lot of people were uncertain. I think when you, you look at Nick's best results over the course of his career, and you know a lot of them have come on the grass at Wimbledon, where it's a little bit easier. And it's not you know it's, it's not a high impact surface like you see on the hard courts. And you know generally, if you do think with Nick that maybe he doesn't put as much time on court in as compared to most players, that you know, he can find himself at the start of the season in particular having some injuries flare up, as we've seen over the years. Uh, it's hard to know a little bit with, with him here. You know, it's a, obviously, it, it does require surgery with his meniscus injury. Um, but it, it's it's always a tough one, I think. If if the Australian Open was a little later in the season, I think we'd see more consistent results from, from Nick as he could kind of work his way into it. But coming off no tennis, to be able to come in and try and play seven best of five set matches in a row in conditions like we see today, it, it's just a tough ask. Heap of Aussies in action today. We're speaking to Steve Quick from Ace Previews, just trying to get some winners out of the tennis, uh, which is really tough in the opening uh, couple of days. Um, tough match. Uh, Kai Kanebi leads uh, 5-2 now against Kimberly Birrell, but we've got a heap of Aussies in action. Alex Demon all tonight. Alexi Popperin, who showed some good signs uh, over in Adelaide. A couple of our qualifiers, uh, Max Purcell included, and also Alex Vukic. Uh, of the Aussies, who are you confident that... Uh, We'll get a win today. Well, if I had to pick two, I would go well, Alex Demon, or I think should win relatively comfortably tonight on John Kane Arena. But another one that's an, another qualifier that's come through is Alexander Vukic. So yep. he's playing uh, Brandon Holt, uh, one of the other qualifiers. And I was really impressed with Vukic kind of heading overseas at the end of last year to play some challenger or lower lower level events to, to try and boost his ranking back up and, and find a bit of form. And he's responded then by playing some really strong qualifying performances. And um, I, I think coming in here, these conditions will really suit. Um, and I just think he's, he's a little bit more consistent at this level uh, from what we've seen over the, the longer period of time compared to, to Brandon Holt. So if I had to pick two, I'd say Demonor should win relatively comfortably. Um, so, you know, perhaps a, a, an under 29.5 games, which I think is out there at the moment. But the, the one I had to pick would probably be Vukic to, to beat Holt. Again, like he was last year, Tanasi Kokonakis is coming in in good shape after a good week over in Adelaide. He lost first round last year. How big of a danger match is this against Fabio Fanini? Look, it is a danger match. I don't think it's as much of a danger match as it would have been a couple of years ago with Fabio. I think we're, for, for anyone who's watched Fabio Fanini over the years, he can be a little bit erratic on court, but his best tennis can, can match it with almost anyone. I, I remember, I think it was a, a couple of years ago, he, he played Alex Demonor here, I think, in one of the COVID-interrupted uh, tournaments and absolutely crushed Demonor in a... I think it was in, a, in an empty stadium. But he has that ability to kind of, you know, he doesn't mind the crowd being against him. But I think the best thing for Kokonakis was the fact that he, you know, lost a little bit earlier in Adelaide last week. So he's been able to get over here. He's had a little bit of time to, to rest and recover from a, a solid couple of weeks. Uh, he should be primed here. And I think, you know, if you look at what happened with Milman yesterday, that, that crowd is going to be right at his back. Got a couple of really interesting matches. One's underway, Andre Rublev versus Dominic Team. Uh, 4-3 in the first set. Uh, Rublev has a break point on Team serve. And then you've got 
this match for a round one is is pretty unbelievable. It happens every year. You get one where the draw sort of works out really interestingly. Matteo Birrettini versus Andy Murray. So the 13th seed, Birrettini, has got a good record at Melbourne Park versus Andy Murray. Uh, what chance Andy can knock off Matteo Birrettini? Well, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I think for Andy, and it's, look, it's, as has been the case with most of his career, I think if he can make this match go as long as possible, I think that the longer it goes, the better it will be. I think when you look at Berrettini, you know, through the United Cup, he put together some some strong performances, but looked to maybe struggle a little bit physically late. I think it was in the last set against Tsitsipas. Uh, so, look, if he can really try and extend things out, it's going to be really tough. Um, but I, I think, you know, Berrettini... Unless he really loses his, his range on his first serve, it's going to be really tough for Murray here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny. It's, I think it's been a, was it four years since the Australian Open tried to retire Andy Murray. That's <laughs> right. Um, he's in he, tears. He just, yeah, he just keeps coming back. But it, look, it's, it's great to see him still out here. It obviously shows how much he loves just playing tennis. It's, it's amazing, really, given uh, all the problems he's had uh, with the hip. He's had the he's got a met- metallic hip, hasn't he, at the moment? So it's amazing that he's he's still playing. So you mentioned a couple of the Aussies you really like today, Alex Dimonor and Alex Vukic. Uh, what are some of the other best sort of plays for today? Um, a, a little small one that, that looks to be a little bit of value is um, Albert Ramos, uh, one of the, the veteran Spanish players. Uh, he's playing against Maxine Cressy, who... I yep. uh, went on a little bit of a run here last year. He's big serving, serves big on his second serve as well. I just think, you know, Ramos is an incredibly intelligent player. And I just think he, you know, you put him on the list of players you really wouldn't want to face if it was, I don't know, 37 degrees and, you know, stinking hot on court. I, I think, you know, Cressy, it's going to cause him to to really be under pressure at some key moments. And look, if you want to get involved, I think Cressy's $1.45 at the moment. But when you've got someone who's, out of form as Christie is at the moment and, you know, who goes big on second serve and, you know, can sometimes lead to some double faults and pressure spots. I, I think Ramos is one just to keep an eye on who, who might be able to keep things a little bit closer than the odds probably suggest. And what about the big two on the men's side? Uh, Rafa won yesterday in four sets. He looked pretty sluggish in that opening set. And Novak's hamstring, have you cooled on either of those two players uh, given, the, I guess, their lead-ins to the tournament? You know, Rafa hadn't won much and, and Novak certainly has a niggle. Yeah, I hadn't been too high on Rafa. I, I think, you know, a, another year older, and I think there are a lot of players at the top of the game who have certainly bridged the gap towards Rafa. So, look, he, he did struggle a little bit yesterday and obviously was a, the beneficiary of um, Jack Draper cramping up um, after you know, a, a couple of hours on court. But, look, Novak is the interesting one. He's at the top of the market. He'll probably be at the top of the market of every tournament that he's in for, for most of the year. But... You know, it is a big question mark of how is the hamstring. I know he's he cancelled a couple of training sessions, but but I think you know took to the court last night and there was a little bit of strapping on there. But look, it's it, you know Novak's won this tournament before with you know an abdominal strain. Um, he's got he's that much far and away better than you know the rest of the tour at the moment. But I think one to keep an eye on is is Daniil Medvedev. I think he he put together a really strong start to the the tournament last night, um, and he's obviously going to be the one who's going to be, I think, the biggest threat to, to Novak. Okay, before we let you go, and we're going to talk to you throughout the tournament, but we need you to, uh, we're going to talk to you tomorrow and also on Friday. We need you to put it on the line. Give us your men's and women's winner for the tournament. For the men's, I will go with Medvedev. Mm-hmm. Um, and the women's, I will, or look, 
I'm, I'm not going to go for any of the top names. I'll go for a couple of outsiders in Veronica Kudamatova, Madison Keys, and Marketa von Drusseldorf. There you go. So not going. It was an interesting match last night with Iga's Fiontech. She was really pushed uh, in an opening round match. Um, most people think she will take it out, but you, you think there's some really good challenges to her, her taking it out. Yeah, I think there are some challenges, and the draw hasn't been too favourable for her. She's, she's got a couple of big hitters in her section that, that can cause a bit of difficulty for her, I think, uh, the, the way that she's playing at the moment. Um, I think if she were to make her way through to the semi final, she's going to be very tough to beat late in the tournament. But I just think there's a little bit of vulnerability there at the moment. But we'll see how she goes through the, the next round or two. Steve, uh, great to chat. Uh, we look forward to chatting to you uh, tomorrow and also on Friday. Enjoy your day of tennis. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. Great to have Steve Quick from Ace Previews. You can find better odds on the Australian Open at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. Let's get our final breakaway. Dwayne Russell with Dwayne's World not too far away. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. It's in stock now.